so today I want to talk about, we're going to be in Colossians 1, 24 to uh, Colossians 2, 5. If you want to open that in your Bible and keep your Bibles open, that'd be great while we're going through this and we'll be referring back to it. But we want to talk about being involved in ministry in church. What does it mean to be a part of the ministry of God's church? Um, what we have seen throughout the ages more and more is that churches have become places where people attend and we hire a specialist to do the work. Uh, that has been kind of a modern thing that we have done. And, we, and a lot of it comes back to the fact of, um, I listen to Jordan sing, and then I sing, and I realize I really need Jordan, okay, because he's really good and I'm not really good. And so there are some certain things that we knew, but we also need other people that can sing. We think to ourselves, well, this person could do this, this person can do that. But what does it mean to be involved in the ministry? Now, what's interesting about this is Paul is writing to the church of Colossae, and he's going to write to them. And when you have the Apostle Paul work come to your church, would you not in your mind just think, I can't do anything. This is the Apostle Paul. You do it all. We'll just watch you because it's going to be really cool. I mean, you're the, you're the man. You're, you're the guy who can handle doing all of this. But the Apostle Paul, as we're going to see, says this is what we are going to do together. The Apostle Paul does not walk into a church and go, I am the Apostle Paul, just stand back and watch. He comes in and he says, we need to do this together. This is important. He says, I'm going to do it for them and with them, is what he says to the church. So he's going to say it's an extension of Christ to them through preaching, teaching, and suffering. And it's only successful because the work that Christ does in us. And so what we're going to see with this today, and I want to talk about, is we should always be looking for what part we have in the ministry of the body of Christ. Because there's not one person here who does not have a part in the ministry of the gospel. And the reason that in the ministry of the church, and the reason that you have that ministry is you're going to see Paul many times within this say, I rejoice in doing this. I rejoice. And the, some of the things he's going to rejoice in, you're going to be like, I'm not sure I could rejoice in that. But what he is showing is that rejoicing comes from serving where God wants you to serve. Doing what God calls you to do. Stepping out in faith and saying, I'm going to go do this even though I don't necessarily feel qualified, but God is calling me. And I know if God calls me, he's going to equip me. He's going to come in me. He's going to make it work for me. So I think that's so important. So let's just look at the, let's just read through the passage first. Colossians one twenty four to two five. It says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you, to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ, For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. I, For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, 
in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. So what he's going to start out with, he's going to start talking. He's going to say, you need to take part in struggles for the church. The first thing that Paul talks about, I mean, this is not a good way to recruit. If you're going to talk about how to recruit people, hey, who here wants to struggle and suffer for the sake of the church? We have a sign-up list right back there. Please, one single file line. Do not push. Okay? That's not the way you usually come at this. But this is the way Paul says it. But you notice the words that he uses. I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. Rejoice. Not, I did it. There's things that we do because we have to. There's things that we have to do. Anybody who has a baby know that changing a diaper is not a good time. It's never a good time. It's, not, it's just not. I, I don't think I ever thought to myself, wow, this is enjoyable. Please let me do this more. But you did it, okay? But he's talking about rejoicing in suffering for the sake of the church. And he talks about filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church. He identifies with the suffering of Christ. He identifies, it says, Christ died on the cross for us. He is a suffering Jesus. He is a servant that served us, but he served us through suffering. Thus, when we suffer for the sake of the gospel, when we suffer for the sake of ministry, we rejoice because we are examples of Jesus Christ and what he did. That's what he's rejoicing in. The church is the body of the crucified Messiah, and this is forgotten by the church. You know, one thing that's interesting about suffering in the Bible, when it talks about suffering, the Bible never attempts to answer the question that most of us have about suffering. That is, why did my friend get sick? Why do wars happen? Why is there a bad hurricane? Why is it so cold? You know, things like that, all right? It never attempts to answer those questions. It just says it's part of the human experience because of sin in the fallen world. What it talks about is suffering for the sake of the gospel. There is a suffering that will happen because when we follow after Jesus Christ, there will be a suffering because the world will resist us. Just like they did Jesus, the most loving, caring man in the, in, well, ever, and he suffered for the sake of us and he was persecuted for us. And we will have attacks by the enemies of the cross, attacks by the enemies of our faith, and he'll be, the, the enemy will be sowing strife in the church. We will have more hurt take place in our lives because of the love that we show for other people. If, in some respects, the reason that people don't get involved with other people and the reason that they don't want to show love to somebody is when you show love to somebody, it can also cause pain in your life. You can suffer because all of a sudden you've, you've just acquired a bunch of family members. When something happens to your family, it hurts. You've just acquired now a bunch of family members when you join the body of Christ. When I was a kid, we used to call everybody brother. And I remember in the church, people calling each other brother and sister in Christ. And that was kind of a brother this, sister that. It was a very common thing to do just to reemphasize the fact that we suffer together. So we rejoice in suffering for the sake of those who are receiving the ministry. For your sake. In other words, when we do ministry in the body 
and it causes us some suffering, we rejoice in that because we rejoice, first of all, that we are doing what Christ has called us to do. And we are in him and identifying with him. And for the sake of the body, we rejoice in the fact that it helps the other person. For the sake, we rejoice that our suffering that we may take when we see, like uh, um, Josh was just talking about, when we give a gift to somebody and we see the reaction that they have. When we do it for the sake of another person, even though it may cause us some suffering, the joy that we receive. The joy that we receive from the, what happens for them. Verse 29 says, For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Come back to the word rejoice. Why the rejoicing? He is struggling with all his energy because he is powerfully working within me. He identifies with Christ in his work. Honor and privilege to be in him and he in us. Christ is in us doing powerful things when we toil and struggle for him. When we are involved in the work of the church, when we are involved in the work of the gospel, Christ is in us, and there is no better thing than to have Christ in us. We may be struggling, we may be having some suffering, but if Christ is in us, we have the greatest rejoicing that the world can ever understand. Beyond anything. This doesn't make any sense to the world. But Paul is talking about how wonderful his life is, and people are throwing stones at him. I've, I don't, I've had a little rock thrown at me. I don't want big stones thrown at me. He is being whipped almost to death. And he's talking about rejoicing in his suffering in life because he is in Christ and Christ is in him. And if you're doing the work of God that God calls you to do, whether it's take off to be a missionary to China or you know help mothers in the nursery, all right, whatever God calls you to do, there will be suffering involved, but it will be Christ in you and you in him and it will be the greatest rejoicing that you can have. It doesn't make any sense in the world's economy, but it makes 100% chance in God's economy. Um, and he says, identifying also the fact that Christ is powerfully working within you. You need to understand that when we do this, we get to see Christ do greater things than we can ever do before. The second reason that we should do ministry in the church is taking part in the purpose of these church. Uh, taking part in the purpose of the church. All of these are God's desires. We are, str- we are to struggle in the task. He talks about struggling and toiling in the task. We are to suffer in the task, but God is the ultimate one who brings it about. We, there's two different attitudes that we have that always shows up in the Christian church. First the one is, we don't need to do anything because God's got it all under control. All right, We show up to church, we say, God, it's your church. Look around, wait for God to move the chairs into place, wait for the musicians that nobody's going to do because we're waiting for God to make it happen, right? Wait for everything to work, wait for this. And then the other action is God's not going to do anything. We've got to do it all ourselves. We've got to do everything. We've got we to work hard. We've got we to just give everything because God's not going to do anything. It, it, God helps those who help themselves. And the whole attitude, well, it's not in the Bible, but you know, it's just like that whole, that whole thing and just keep going and going. we got to do it ourselves. And you know what, the, know what the truth is? Not here or here. It's here. God expects us to do something, but it's him who accomplishes the goal. God uses us. And when he uses us, guess what? We get to rejoice because we're being used for the sake of the gospel. God doesn't want us to sit on the sidelines. He wants us to be right in the struggle and in the toil and in the suffering. But that is for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Um. If you look at verse 25, it says, 
of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you, to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. He wants to make the word of God fully known. And he says it was secret until revealed by God through Christ and then proclaimed by the apostles. But here's the thing that's interesting about this. The mystery hidden for the ages and generations is now revealed to who? It is not revealed to a secret group of people, a secret group of pastors that only are the ones that know everything. It says it is revealed to all the saints, which means everyone who is a member of the body of Christ has the secret revealed to them. And guess what? Because you've had the secret revealed to you, you can share the secret with other people. This is not a, to make the word of God fully known, to make it known to the world, you can do that because you have received it from God. To make the word of God known, the whole world is the key to the church, not just the whole Bible, but the power of God is let loose in the world, Christ and the Spirit. We are supposed to make the word of God, which is the Bible known, but also to make Christ known in this world. That is the purpose of the church. And remember, it is for all the saints to do it. Every single person in this church has one task that I don't care what, your, what you feel like your giftings are. I don't care what you feel like. Well, I, I don't have a spiritual gift of sharing my faith. Um, there isn't a sure one of that. There's a gift of evangelism, which means that's the core of what you do. But everybody has a role in sharing their faith. Everyone. That may just be, we, we talked about it before, that may just be living out a Christian life in a world where very few people live out a Christian life and standing out in your community. And guess what? If you stand out in your community, guess what's going to happen to you? You're going to suffer for the sake of the gospel. And guess what's going to happen on top of that? You're going to rejoice because you've done what God has called you to do. And so it's just like everybody has a place to do this. Everybody has a place to making the word of God and Christ fully known in the world. That is one of the biggest things we have to do. He goes on in verse 27. He says, To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. With this task... He says it is to reach out to the undesirables. Now, unless you're Jewish in this, commu- in this town, and that's not very many people, you're the undesirables in this text. When he says to make it known to the Gentiles, you're the scum. I'm the scum. Okay? It's kind of like when people talk about the evil barbarians of Europe. Those are my, those are my ancestors. And like, yeah, we were evil barbarians. We were crazy. All right, you study, if you study your background, I mean, the tribal peoples of, the, of Europe were crazy. And, and that's okay to understand that we were the undesirables at one time. And he says this gospel is to go to everyone, not just the kind of people you like, not just the kind of people who look like you, not just the kind of people that make the same amount of money as you, have the same marital status, have whatever the categories of this world tries to give. It is to make it known to everyone. And if it's to the Gentiles, he's kind of sticking it here. If it's to the Gentiles, it means to everyone. The riches of the glory of this ministry, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Because of Christ, the old, in the Old Testament, it was thought that the Jewish people thought that they were God's gift and that that was only for them. 
And now what they're being told, the Colossian church, is they need to become like Jewish people because those are the only people that God loves. And he's saying, no, the hope is Christ in you, the hope of glory. In other words, you have hope because Christ came to you, the undesirables, the ones that nobody thought was worth going to. Now guess what? Go take it to more undesirables. Because you know what makes undesirables not undesirables? Christ. You know what made... Sometimes people say, well, you know what? I can't... Those people who all go out there sinning. Just go a little bit down your family lineage, by the way. Just, you may have a brother. You don't even have to go that far to say, well, I can't have them around me. They sin. Really? Go to a family reunion. You probably have some sinners right there. So don't act like you're better than somebody else. Don't act like you can't do this. There are, the, the reason that people sin is because they're in bondage to sin. We already talked about that. The reason that some people have been set free is because God has been in them. The hope of glory, Christ in them. Him, verse 28, he keeps going. He says, Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. The goal of the church continues on that we may present everyone mature in Christ. We proclaim Christ in two different ways. First of all, we warn and teach everyone with wisdom, but we also do this for the purpose that everyone may be uh, present. We present everyone mature in Christ. Again, look at the word, look in verse 28. Paul is writing to the church of Colossa. He is writing to the Colossians, and he is saying, I'm going to show up, and I'm going to do all the work. No. He says, we are going to teach we are going to warn. We are going to make mature believers. He's saying we're all in this together. This is our calling as a church. Nobody gets to be on the sidelines. Yesterday, everybody's may wonder what happened to my voice. I was at the Gopher game yesterday. A lot of fun. Lost my voice, screaming and yelling. But you know what? I did absolutely nothing on the field. They never called a play for me. They never said, get out here, John. We really need you. We know that you're 51, but you, gotta sh- you did at one time play junior high football. Come on. All right? Nobody called me out there. I, wasn't, I was part of being there. I was cheering everybody on, but it was those who were down there. That's not the way the church works. The church works that everybody's involved. Everybody's involved in admonishing and teaching. You say, well, I don't have a gift of teaching. I can't do what you're doing, Pastor John. I can't stand up in front of a group of people. It's terrifying. All right? Nobody's asking you to do what God has not called you to do. But we all have something to do with this. The first one is warning, which is setting minds on the proper order or a warning. Uh, I found this quote. There is no telling what muddles Christian minds will get into from time to time. In other words, there's no... There's all kinds of crazy stuff, and the internet has just put it to just crazy, 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 exponentially crazy. There's all kinds of stuff. But you know what we can do? We can help other people. I, I tell people all the time, especially the older we get, the best thing you can do for somebody is to warn them and say, let me tell you about my life. Let me tell you about the time when I did this. And let me tell you about the time that please don't do what I did. If I'm your example, please don't. I want to give you that warning. I just want to help you with that. I'm not here saying that I know everything. I just love you enough to tell you about my life. Because sometimes we don't want to talk about our lives. 
We don't want to talk about the embarrassing things that we did. You know, I don't want to talk about junior high, period. Just, just like, just take it right out. But, you know, the whole thing is, I talk to junior hires, and I'm like, let me tell you, I was the weird kid in eighth grade. Let me tell you how not to be weird. I could give you just a list. Don't be John. Um, but we need to warn people of what they can fall into. Warn people of what level they can be at. Show in Scripture. Point them in the right direction. Maybe we're not a good Maybe we're not the best at understanding. It's okay to say, I don't know. I'll look it up or I'll talk to Pastor John or I'll talk to somebody that knows better. But this doesn't seem right to me. When they go on into a different doctrine or they go into some crazy thing that they heard from some YouTube prophet. And when they go into all this and say, this doesn't seem right. Let's check this out together. That's what we can do. And look to authorities that have time to practice. I mean, those who are pastors have time to look things up. People call me all the time and say, I heard this. Will you look it up for me? I'll do that for anybody here. But we also need to work together to find these. And also in teaching and preparing for the positive, teaching, allowing positive teaching to be distorted. In other words, letting people know this is what I found in the scripture, coming together as a body, teaching one another. I mean, one way that we teach one another, which is one of the positives that's going to come later in Colossians, is actually we teach one another during the time of music and singing during the church. Colossians, we'll talk about later. It says, teaching one another using songs and, and hymns. Okay, you want, and you say, how am I teaching another person? Well, here's one way I've got it. If you sing the song, how great is our God, like this. How great is our God... Yay. Okay? What you're saying is, how great is our God? Now, I'm not asking you to have to get up and do a dance and and, uh, get all excited every time you sing a song. But you know what? Show people that you care. Show people. And when you sing these songs together, and when we sing like we believe them, when we sing the national anthem, and we're at a time of of great crisis in our country, and people sing the national anthem, and they're so proud. Sing like you're proud of your faith, and you actually believe what you're singing. Let your faith know that what you believe, and let it be shown. We could teach one another in just that way. Some of us may be called to be teachers. One of the things that we need to raise up in our church constantly is teachers, and it doesn't always mean the pastor. It means other people in the church. We need to raise them up to teach. For the whole goal of maturity, it says that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Now, some of you here are older than I am. Some of you are younger than I am. And we all know this. You can be mature and not be perfect. Because you get some mature people that look very mature, and then they do some really stupid things. Okay? You think after a while you outgrow things, and you don't. Some things you do. You can be mature. Maturity means that you're moving towards perfection, but you're not there yet. The perfection that we reach will be in the future. So we're trying to present everybody mature in Christ, which means not being tossed around by all the things in this world, not be taken astray by the things of this world, and not be, not be petty with one another, but mature Christians. Sometimes with believers in church, I hear other pastors say this a lot. They say, you'd think our saints that have been in the church would longer would have more maturity to them. Because sometimes it's just not age, how long you've been a Christian. It's the fact that you've allowed Christ and the body and everyone to make you a mature follower in Jesus Christ. We need that in our church. 
One of the best things I ever heard was a 70-year-old pastor, and uh, he's kind of a mentor of mine. He says, I want to go to a church where I don't get it. He's like talking to all the young people. He says, I want to go to a church where I don't get it. I want to, this church isn't, he said, I don't care if it's for me. I just want to go where they're ministering to people of all ages. And it's not all about me. And it's not all about this. He said, and it, was, it just really struck me because I, I, I think he's right. That maybe the music isn't exactly the way I would have picked. Or maybe the, the preacher doesn't look the way I would have looked. But he says, it's all about the fact that I'm mature in Christ and I'm happy that gospel is being carried forth. That's what we're looking for. We're not looking at people saying they have to look, again, looking like us, being like us. Everybody has to be the same. We all have to agree on everything. No, we're happy that everybody is here. Again, in verse 29, he said, For this I toil, struggling with all energy, that he powerfully works within me. If you look at that in, in, in verse two, uh, chapter 2, verse 1, he is talking about struggling with all energy for his toil here. He is struggling as in an athletic game. He uses the word agon here where we get the word agony. He is saying that I struggle like the athletes that I watched yesterday struggle. I watch them struggle. I watch them struggle on the field. They don't give up until the very end. They have to blow a whistle. And sometimes the refs are chasing after the guys to get them to stop playing. I mean, they're just tweet, 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 tweet. They're chasing some guy who won't stop going. And that tells you, that's what we need to do. That's the struggle. That's the word he is using there. Those who are saying, I want to be the best God has called me to be. And now we get to the stage, Josh shared earlier about a verse where it says, they had so much money coming in, they had to finally stop them from bringing money in. Drive your pastor crazy by saying, I want to do stuff, and you're not giving me enough work to do. I'm just challenging everybody here on that. Drive me crazy. I'm okay with that. All right? Just say, God is calling me to this, and what are you going to do about it? Because it's, I am also going to look up Ephesians 4, where it says you're supposed to equip the church for the, the, equip the saints for the work of the church. I'm here. Equip me. All right? And have that agon, that struggle that we have. We also need to take part in the care of the body. Not only reaching the body and the work of the body, but making connections for ministry. Paul, you realize that Paul never met this church? He doesn't, he's never met them when he writes this letter. It's kind of interesting if you look at it. He struggled and cared for them, but he had absolutely no connect, personal connection to them. For like, look at verse 1. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you. That's that word agon again, the agony. For those at Laodicea and for all those who have not seen me face to face. And I, what you can take from this is... To help people overcome delusional teachings, to help people uh, grow in their faith, we need to make connections, but we need to make connections with people that we've never met before. Paul is saying, I care about you, and I've never met you. I've never seen you face to face. Guess what? Let's be friends. The first time you're in church, I want to get to know you. I'm not standoffish. I'm saying, I don't want to stay with the same group. Paul's not the kind of guy who says, you know what, I'm doing fine in Rome. I don't need any more friends. I don't need to work with anybody else. He says, I agon or struggle over you. And he says, I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. We need to make connections for ministry, but the only people that you're ever going to listen to are people that you have a relationship with. And... 
You need to gather together, ask questions, and look to authority. And he says that there are many people in this world that will delude you, and even uses the word, with plausible arguments. Have you ever seen the plausible arguments that people have? They'll try to relate all these things. Like, um, there's, a, um, there's a study about how much margarine is consumed. Have you ever seen the, uh, these, this study that how much margarine is consumed and how that affects um, the, um, like the moon landings? And they've used a chart and they can make it work. And, ooh, it could be plausible. Maybe margarine consumption does lead to moon landings. It has nothing to do with it, but it looks plausible. I should have brought a whole, there's a whole book I'm hilarious. Look it up. Um, but it's just this whole thing of this looks to this and this looks to this and this could be plausible. Isn't it plausible that maybe your pastor's lying to you? That's the one that always goes out there. Your pastor's not telling you the truth. And you know what's going on right here? Your, your Paul isn't telling you everything. There's a whole group of people in Colossians that are going to be trying to push another gospel. And they're saying, Paul isn't telling you the truth. We're telling you the truth. And you know what Paul says? I will stand on the word of God. They can stand on their plausible arguments. But we need to have a connection with one another so we can say, I heard this, and we can talk to somebody about it. I heard this crazy argument. Somebody told me about this at church or at work or somebody, you know, whatever, wherever you hear it. We need to have a relationship so that we, he says, I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. I want to make a connection with you to have that. And we also need to encourage one another. Verse 2 says, so that your hearts may be encouraged being knit together in love. Notice the connection. We encourage one another when we have a connection that is knit together in love. We care for one another as a church when we make connections, whether we come to small groups, whether we, come to, whether we stay after church and spend some time with each other and get to know each other and become knit together in love. We make that connection so that we can encourage one another. It's tough to encourage somebody if you don't know them. When you find out what's going on in their life, you find out that maybe there's a there's something you can encourage them, something you can lift them up on. When you're hurting, you want to be around your friends. When you're celebrating, you want to be around your friends. I'm just saying both ways. You can encourage one another. Have you ever had something really good happen? You're like, I got to tell. I, I gotta, who am I going to tell? Okay. Because people that you love will, 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 it have, will uh, encourage you and celebrate with you. People that you don't know will say mean things and tear you down. I'm just saying. I just got a great raise at my job. I wish I would have got a great raise. Lucky. That's not encouraging. That's not, I mean, we should be encouraging one another, helping one another, loving one another. He said, he goes further in verse three, he says, help others and us reach our highest in Christ to reach all the riches of full assurance and understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. We need to have that, encourage, that ability to help other people rich, re, find the riches of full assurance and understanding of Christ. All the hidden treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And this comes from connections that we have in the church. We are doing this together as we help each other. Um, verse 5 goes further with this. He says, For though I am absent in the body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see that you're in good order and firmness of your faith in Christ. There's a positive. We rejoice in seeing how God has worked in you. 
You know, do you want to be happier in life? Do you want to have more rejoicing in your life? Have more relationships with people that are in the body of Christ and rejoice with them. This is something God has been working with me on. When somebody has something good going on in their life and my life may not be going well, you know what's really good to do? Rejoice with the person that something good is happening in their life. And you say, what about your life? Not now. Not happening right now. Maybe I'm going through a tougher time. But I get to rejoice a lot more and rejoice with other people. When I, get to, when I get to share their wins, you may have something. You're single and your friend just got engaged. Rejoice with your friend. That's hard when you're single. Okay, I, when I was a senior in high school, every one of my friends had a girlfriend except for me. Everybody go, aw. You know, it's just, um. But it doesn't matter. Okay, I rejoice with them. You rejoice with your, your friends. And I, I can say that I always wasn't like that. But we rejoice with the fact that somebody is moving ahead. Somebody has a great breakthrough in their Christian life, has a breakthrough in their prayer life, and you're still struggling that. A breakthrough, they, they see something happen in their life. They see uh, God's mercy really flow. We have that happen. And lastly, what he says, I say this in order to you, verse 5, in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I'm absent in the body, I'm with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and firmness of your faith in Christ. We need to help people by making connections that they say is true in their faith. There are two things that Paul likes to use, and one of them is sports analogies. And sometimes I get in trouble, pastors get in trouble because they use sports analogies. I blame the Apostle Paul. Okay, just for the record, he's the one who puts all the sports analogies in there. The second thing that he likes to use, and this is appropriate for our Veterans Day weekend, he likes to use military things. And in this term in verse 5, he's using military terms when he says the good order and the firmness of your faith. The, The purpose of the church is to join together so that we make a a military formation in a proper array for a good defense. That is what that term means right there. So that we together, because you know, I mean, maybe you've watched too many movies where there's one guy who takes on 40 different people. You've seen that movie? That doesn't exist. Okay? The movie 300 as an ancient Greek teacher drives me nuts. Just don't watch it. It It should go away where they show the one guy, because the Greeks were known for one thing. They would march together, slowly, together, and they would put this array that nobody could defeat. The Romans knew how to work together as an army, so no one could defeat it. You know what the church needs to do? Learn how to array themselves in a good defense so we don't lose any of our people. Because we're in this together. We're in a proper array. We're standing firm in defense. We are doing what God has called us to do. We are a body together. But you know what it took for the Greek army to do this? It took every single person. The reason the Greek army could do this is because they trusted each other. You trusted the person next to you had your back. You trusted the person to your right had your side. You trusted everybody would move in the same thing. And when we do that as a church, when you feel like you can trust the people here, we will have the defense that can pull us forward in the faith. We will have the defense that allows us to overcome anything that is thrown against us. Anything. And when one, one person is injured, we can put that person in the middle and we can protect them. 
if we're in the proper array. We have the triage center. You can go all the way in the military. We have the hospital for them. We have the rehab for them. Paul uses military terms. I'm going to use them. Okay? We have the whole setup. We have it all set up for them so that they are, can be put back into battle once they're restored. Maybe they're injured, but they're not out for the count because they have a body of Christ. Why don't you stand with me right now? If our prayer ministers could come forward. If you're here today and you've never accepted Christ, you've never made him the master of your life, today is the day to make that commitment. Jesus Christ died on the cross for you. Jesus Christ is the reason that we have hope. Hope and glory, Christ in us. The fact that when we are saved, Christ comes into us by his spirit. We are possessed by Christ's spirit. And it allows us to do all things through Christ who strengthens us. It allows us to overcome adversity. It allows us to find strength in hurting times. And this is all because of Christ. So if you're here today, you have, you, your sins are not forgiven. Because you know what? We have a choice. We can either take the blame for our own sin, which we are all guilty of. There's not one person here that is not guilty of sin. Not one person. But the reason that we can have hope is because Jesus Christ forgives us of that sin. And because of his work on the cross, you can be saved and set free of your sin and not have that sin charged against you. That is the best offer you're ever going to get. Plus Christ in you, the hope of glory. For the rest of your life, you're going to have Christ with you. Christ transforming you. Christ making you into his image. Come and talk to one of our prayer ministers. And they can tell you what it means to become a Christian. For everybody else is here. If you've got a prayer request, a need, come and talk to one of our prayer ministers. But for us, I want to encourage you to become part of the body of Christ. This verse 5 really just sticks with me. The military formation. That we're in this together. Everybody has a role. We should be saying, God, what role do you have for me in the church? Because I want to rejoice. Multiple times he says rejoice here. In my toiling, I rejoice. In my struggling, I rejoice. In my suffering, I rejoice. Because I'm identified with Christ. I'm doing what Christ has called me to do. I rejoice because Christ is in me. And he is doing work through me. And I get to see the results of it. So I'm just going to challenge everyone Really just pray to God this week. Pray to God right now. We're going to have a prayer. God, what do you have me to do? What do you have for me? Because I want to have that rejoicing that the Apostle Paul has. I want to see other people raised up. I want to see my own life become more like Christ every day. Because your own faith is, I mean, Paul, his own faith is built up as he suffers for the other people. His faith is built up. We're all in this together. And this is right now, act like we are the body of Christ working together for him. Lord, we thank you for this scripture. We thank you for the Apostle Paul and his example to us, God. That he called the church in Colossians. The Colossian church, he called them and he said, God, that we're going to work together. I've never met you, but I'm coming to meet you and I'm coming to invest in you. I'm sending you this letter. I want to be invested in you. But he also called every single person the church, God to invest in one another. And God, let us take the call. Take the call to invest in one another. Take the time to, to try to lift each other up, God. Defend one another. Warn and admonish each other, God. Teach one another. Do everything that you have called us to do, God, so that we may see the church triumphant, God. 
You said you wanted to make a church triumphant, God. We want to be that church triumphant, that the gates of hell will never prevail against it, God, as we have the hope of Christ in us and the power of Christ working through us. Just help us, Lord, as a church. In the name of Jesus, amen. Now go and connect with one another.